You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Our next reader is one of the dread lords of cyberpunk. Uh, we have another one here. Actually, we have two Pats here, I think. I almost regard Pat as a dreadlord of cyberpunk. And uh, uh, Rudy Rucker's here. And along with, um, you know, Bruce Sterling and Bill Gibson and John Shirley. And um, the dreadlords of cyberpunk are the people that set out to change science fiction forever. And failed, of course. But uh, <laughs> had a good time at it. Um, He's the, his, his first novel is called Metrophage, which I think sort of put him on the map. His uh, short story, Carbon Copy, was made into a movie with Bridget Fonda called The After Worst Baby. Movie at the Beginning <laughs> of the 21st Century, I'd like, to, I'd like to point out. Well, as somebody said to me once when I said something was the worst movie, they said, you need to see more movies. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I okay. dare you to watch this movie. All right. Um, Anyway, I feel a, a certain kinship with this author, too. He's a, a, um, he writes nonfiction. He wrote for Wired. He's been published in the SFI, um, <laughs> which there's a small gang of us that have done that. Um, it gives me great pleasure to introduce a, a, a friend and an esteemed colleague, Richard Cadry. Thank you. Thanks. I'm going to be reading tonight from my new novel. It's the first of a series. It's the first time I've ever tried to write a, a series. This is, uh, what, do you, what do you call it? It's not me selling out. It's me buying in to the uh, <laughs> system. So um, this is all brand new to me, too. I haven't read any of this in public before, so I have no idea what I'm doing. So I uh, hope it doesn't suck. Uh, I'm going to read it. The first part is actually very early in the book just to kind of set this thing up because there's a fair amount of background. I'll explain a little more before I move to the second bit. But to uh, kind of let you know what's going on, I'm actually going to read the epigraphs. There's always this two for each book. And the first one for this one is from the Dio Serai Requiem Mass. Just judge of vengeance, grant the gift of forgiveness before the day of reckoning. And the other one, the companion, is the dumber people think you are, the more surprised they're going to be when you kill them. <laughs> by William Clayton. So. I wake up on a pile of smoldering garbage and leaves in the old Hollywood Forever Cemetery behind the Paramount Studios lot on Melrose, though these last details don't come to me until later. Right now, all I know is that I'm back in the world, and I'm on fire. My mind isn't quite kicked in yet, but my body knows enough to roll off the burning trash and to keep rolling until I can't feel the heat anymore. When I'm sure it's out, I struggle to my feet and shrug off the leather jacket, run my hands over my lower legs and back. It's no real pain, and all I feel are a couple of blisters right behind my right knee. My jeans are a little crispy, but the heavy leather of my jacket protected my back. I'm not really burned, just singed and in shocked. I probably hadn't been on fire too long, but I'm lucky that way. I've always been lucky that way. 
Otherwise, I might have crawled back into this world and ended up as a charcoal briquette in my first five minutes home. And wouldn't those black-hearted bastards down below have laughed when I ended up right back in hell after slipping so sweetly out the back door? Well, fuck them for now. I'm home and I'm alive, if a little torn up by the trip. No one said birth was easy and rebirth would have to be twice as hard as that first journey into the light. The light? My body isn't burning anymore, but my eyes are cooking in their sockets. How long has it been since I've seen sunlight? Down in the asshole of creation, it was a dim, perpetual, crimson and magenta twilight. I can't even tell you the colors of the cemetery without where I'm standing because my vision goes into an agonizing whiteout every time I open my eyes. My clothes are burned, but wearable, if you ignored the burning garbage smell. I have on an ancient germs t-shirt that a girlfriend stole from a West Hollywood vintage shop for me. Worn black jeans with holes in the knees and a pair of ancient engineer boots and a battered leather motorcycle jacket, strategic points of which are held together with black gaffer's tape. The heel of my right boot is loose from where I kicked the living Jesus out of some carjacking piece of shit after he dragged some screaming soccer mom onto the pavement at a stoplight. I hate cops, and I fucking hate goody-goody hero types, but there is just some shit that if it happens in front of me, I will not put up with. Of course, that was back then, before my trip downtown. I'm not sure what I'd do if I saw that same scene today. I'd probably still put the boot into the car thief, but I don't think I'd let him walk away. So that's just a little setup. Um, I'm just going to read this next section until it gets boring. So. So we're skipping ahead a bit. Um, he's woken up in the cemetery. Uh, you're going to see a reference. You're going to hear a little reference here to uh, somebody calls Brad Pitt, who is not Brad Pitt. He's this pretty boy businessman he meets walking from the cemetery back to Hollywood Boulevard, that he um, he has an encounter with and ends up mugging for his clothes and his money. So, as like you do, yeah. <laughs> it's over a mile to the boulevard. I'm exhausted by the time I get there, and the payoff isn't exactly what I was hoping for. Sometime while I was gone, Hollywood Boulevard had a nervous breakdown. Vacant storefronts, trash dissolving in the streets, nothing but ghosts here, shadows of runaways and dealers huddled in padlocked doorways. I remember the boulevard full of wild kids, drag queens, manic Bob Dylan wannabes, and tourists looking for more than their next fix. Now the place just looks like a whipped dog. I'm beat from walking on these strangers' legs, and I'm sweating in Brad Pitt's jacket. I should have taken the idiot's car. I could have left it on the boulevard safe and sound, or just tossed the keys to one of the street kids slouched against the buildings just to see if there was any life left inside those dead eyes. Walking deeper into Hollywood, I pass Ivar Avenue and, <clears throat> and a funny sign flanked by burning tiki torches, the Bamboo House of Dolls. It says, I kind of remember the name. It's an, it's an old school kung fu movie with a women in prison twist. I saw it when I was downtown. The, <laughs> devil, the devil steals cable. Who knew? <laughs> the Bamboo House of Dolls is cool and dim inside, and I can take off Brad Pitt's sunglasses without wanting to faint. There are old Iggy and Circle Jerks posters on the black painted walls, but behind the bar it's all palm fronds, plastic hula girls, and coconut bowls for peanuts. There's no one in the place except with a bartender and me. I grab a stool at the end of the bar, farthest from the door. 
The bartender is slicing up limes. He pauses a second to give me a nod, the knife loose and comfortable in his hand. That other part of my brain kicks in, sizing him up. He has close-cropped black hair and a graying goatee. He looks big under his Hawaiian shirt, maybe an ex-football player, maybe a boxer. He realizes I'm looking at him. Nice jacket, he says. Thanks. Too bad the rest of you looks like you just dropped out of the devil's asshole. (laughs) Suddenly I'm wondering if this is some kind of hellion setup, if I can reach Brad Pitt's stun gun or my knife in time. He must have seen it in my face because he gives me one of those big deer in the headlights grinned, and I know that he was just kidding. Hey, relax, man, relax. Just a bad joke. Looks like you've had a shitty day. What are you drinking? I'm not sure how to answer that. Yesterday I'd been hunting for water, that, the water that sometimes dripped through the ceilings of limestone caves under pandemonium. Mostly I'd been drinking a Hellian homebrew called Agua Regia, a kind of high-octane red wine mixed with a dash of angel's blood and herbs that made cocaine seem like pop rocks. Agua Regia tasted like cayenne pepper and gasoline, but it was there and I could keep it down. Uh, Jack Daniels. On the house, said the bartender, and he pours a double. This is strange music playing, something odd and tropical with fake bird chirps every now and then. There's a CD case on the bar, Hawaiian Sunset on the cover, and the name Martin Denny. I put the the chewed black black in a cocktail napkin and sipped the JD. It tastes strange, like something a human might actually drink. It washes the rest of the garbage taste away. What the hell is this place? Bamboo House of Dolls, L.A.'s greatest and only punk tiki club. <laughs> yeah, I always said, L.A., we needed one of those. <laughs> I'm in a bar, but there's something still missing. Oh, I f- don't have any cigarettes. Can I borrow one? Sorry, man, you can't smoke in bars in California. <laughs> when did that happen? That's ridiculous. I completely agree. Well, at least I'm home for Christmas. Uh, close, but you missed it by a day. Didn't Santa bring you anything? Well, this trip, maybe. I sip my drink. So, not Christmas after all, just Christmas enough to keep the streets deserted so no one crawl, no one saw me crawl home. Lucky me. I ask, um, you have today's paper? He reaches under the bar and drops a folded copy of the L.A. Times in front of me. I pick it up, trying not to look too eager, but can't even read the headlines, can't even focus on anything but the date on the top of the page. Eleven years. I've been gone eleven years. I was 19 when I went downtown. I'm practically an old man now. You, uh, you got any coffee back there? He nods. Oh, I see how you miss Christmas, a kind of a lost weekend. Yeah, I've had a few of those. Coffee is beautiful. Hot, bitter, like it's been brewing for a while. I pour the last of the Jack Daniels into it and drink. My first perfect moment in 11 years. So, uh, you from around here? I was born here, but I've been away. Business or pleasure? Incarceration. He smiles again, a normal one this time. Well, in my reckless youth, I did six months boosting cars. What were you inside for? I'm not really sure, to tell you the truth. Wrong place, wrong time. Uh, That'll always put a smile on your face. He refills my coffee cup and pours me another shot of JD. This bartender might be the finest human being I have ever met. (laughs) So uh, why'd you come back, he asks. I'm going to kill some people, I tell him. I pour the jack into the coffee. Probably a whole lot of people.
<laughs> Bartender picks up a rag and starts wiping glasses. Well, I guess someone's got to. Well, thanks for understanding. Man, I figure at any given time, there's probably 5% of the population that are just un such unrepentant rat fucks pandejos that they deserve whatever they get. He's still wiping the same glass. It looks pretty clean to me by now. Yeah, besides, I get the feeling you might have your reasons, he says. Uh, I, I do, Carlos. He stops wiping. How did you know my name was Carlos? Uh, you must have said it. No, I didn't. I look over his shoulder at the wall behind the bar. Um, that trophy on top of the register, Carlos, world's greatest boss. You can read that from here? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> the thing with his name popping into my head, that's weird. I, it's probably time to go. What do I owe you, he says. It's on the house. Are you uh, this nice to every aspiring killer who wanders in here? Only the ones that look like they just crawled out of a burning building and didn't even get their jacket dirty. And I like repeat business. Maybe you'll come back sometime. You want someone who, like you just said, fell out of the devil's assholes irregular? <laughs> I'd love it. He looks away like he's trying to think of the next thing to say. Look, man. There are these guys, these uh, white boys, all tattooed like Aryan Nation or some shit. They're coming around wanting money for protection. A lot more money than I can afford at a bar like this. And you think I can do something about that? Well, you kind of look like someone who might know what to do with a situation like that. It wouldn't be that look again. He's groping for words, you know, afraid. I can tell this is really hard for him to say that. Is this why the Veritas sent me here? The Veritas is a coin he uses to uh, kind of flips every now and then that gives him advice. I'm back a couple of I'm back like two hours already and I'm already am into karmic payback. <laughs> and with the carnage I have planned uh, but haven't even started, and that doesn't really make any sense. No, I'm sorry, man. I just don't think I can help you. Okay, how about this? Free drinks, free food too. Good food, burgers, ribs, tamale. You eat and drink for free till the end of time. That's really nice, but uh, I don't think I can help you. He looks away and starts wiping glasses again. If you change your mind, they come on Thursdays in the afternoon when we're getting deliveries. I get up and head for the door. When I'm halfway there, he says, hey. And he slides something down the bar at me. It's a pack of American Spirit Browns, the non-filtered kind. This matches tucked under the cellophane wrap. Take him. I can't smoke in here either. Slipping on Brad Pitt's shades, I ask. You have any more of these back there? Nope. Well, you're a hell of a first date, Carlos, I said. But what I'm really thinking is, God damn it, someone gives you the last of his cigarettes, you owe him something. Martin Denny birds chirp as I, f as I walk out the door. Turns out I don't need the shades for long. It must have been later in the day that I thought when I walked into the bamboo house of dolls. As I leave, the sun is almost down and lights are coming up all along the boulevard. I always liked Hollywood better at night. The street lights and headlights and flashing signs outside the tourist traps blur all the straight lines and hard right angles that ruin the place. The boulevard is only ever really alive at night when it's both bright and black and there are promises hidden in every shadow. It's like it was designed and built specifically for vampires, and for all I know, it was. Yes, there are vampires. Try to keep up. count to 11 as I walk deeper into Hollywood. 
11 parking meters, 11 hookers looking for that first post-Christmas trick, 11 actors I never heard of on the 11 stars on Hollywood Boulevard, 11 years. 11 years and I'm home with a key and a pocket knife and a coin that won't even buy me a cup of coffee. <clears throat> Three, five, seven, eleven. All good children go to heaven. Gone 11 years and I make it back the day after Christmas. Is someone trying to tell me something here? I pull out one of Carlos's cigarettes and light up. Smoke feels good in my lungs. This body is starting to feel like mine again, like me. I'm not just, uh, but I'm just not sure about the rest of the world. Who the hell are these people on the boulevard the day after Christmas? How am I supposed to blend in with them? There's a nice guy at a bar a few blocks from here. He was just doing his job, but he had a knife in his hand, and all I could do was count all the ways I knew to kill him. It hits me how unprepared I am for being back, how everything that made sense downtown is strange here, wrong and ridiculous. All the skills I have, how to draw an enemy in and how to kill all the magic I've learned or stolen suddenly feels feeble and foolish in this bright and alien place. I'm steel-toed boots in a ballet slipper world. I finish off the first cigarette and light it over. The world is a lot louder and stranger place than I remember. I need to stop doing and start <clears throat> and stop running around screaming inside my head. Brooding is for chickens, as my first grade teacher used to say, or maybe that was Lucifer. Homily reciters all kind of run together for me. I need to concentrate on what's important, like my sure and certain plans to find and kill, in as painful a way as possible, the six traitorous snakes who stole my life, and something worse. It makes me weak inside to think about it. It's a woman's face. <clears throat> Her name is Alice. She's the only bright thing I ever loved. The only person I ever met worth giving a damn about. If heaven ever meant anything, she should be married by now. Probably some skinny leather pants guitarist she has to support with temp jobs in those fluorescent tube high-rise dungeons along Wilshire. Or maybe she's gone straight and married a dentist, squeezed out of minivans full of crib lizards and gotten fat. That'll be okay too, but none of these things are, are going to happen to her. Nothing nice ever happens to murdered women, except that maybe someone cares about how they got that way. <coughs> Excuse me. If Alice was still around, I wonder if she'd even recognize me under all these scars. There's a mirror inside the entrance to the bamboo house of dolls, but I've been careful not to look at it. Walking along the boulevard, I take quick glances at my reflection in the dim glass of dead storefronts. I'm bigger than I was when I went down, heavier with muscle and scar tissue but still thin by human standards. I can still recognize the rough outlines of my face, but it looks more like stone than flesh. My cheeks and chin are chiseled out of concrete. My eyes are dark, shining marbles above lips the colors of dirty snow. I'm a George Romero zombie, except I'm not quite dead yet. Just vacationing in the land of the dead. Suddenly I want to get my hands around the throat of fat Alice's imaginary husband and just squeeze the son of a bitch until he pops like a balloon. Okay, that stops me cold. It's the first time I ever fantasized about killing anyone outside the magic circle. What a stupid and dangerous thought. It's exactly the kind of thing that's going to steer me away from the real job and maybe get me killed. Then I'd be right back in hell with nothing to show for it, and wouldn't that be a lot of laughs? And that leads me to the $64,000 question. Why did the Veritas send me this way? It's interesting being back on familiar turf, but... 
I could have thought about this crap back in the cemetery. I mean, that's why it's called a cemetery. I didn't need a bartender to offer me a job or give me free smokes. With a, hand, with a pocket full of Brad Pitt's hundreds, I'm Richie Rich with a knife in his boot. So why am I here? I'm walking around and smoking on a block or two. That's two open liquor stores, a secondhand bookstore, a dead record store, and a shuttered sex shop. So I'm speculating on how fucked up a town has to be when you can't even kill the dildo store open. The inside of my skull lights up like God's own pinball machine. I understand. I know exactly why I'm here. He's turning off the boulevard onto Los Palmas, waddling on his little, way, little legs a short way up the block to a place called Max Overdrive Video. The front door, he has to jiggle the things for a minute, transfer a cup of coffee to one hand, grip a top of a bag of donuts in his teeth, and do a little dance so he can work the keys out of his pocket and let himself into the store. I watch him from across the street just to make sure that I'm not imagining things. As he enters the place, I get a nice backlit shot of his face. It's Kasabian, one of my friends from the old magic circle, one of the six on my list. I guess Santa bought me something after all. Max Overdrive video occupies both floors of an old Hollywood townhouse, the kind of weekend getaway kept by the gentry back in the 40s, when this area was the most glamorous place in the known universe. Kasabian is moving around inside Max Overdrive like he owns the place. I think I should go in and ask him if he does. It's full on night now, and I'm surrounded by fight, fat, ripe shadows. I cross the street and pick a plump one around the side of Max Overdrive next to a health food restaurant. Glance over my shoulder to make sure the street's clear, and when I know I'm alone, I slip into the shadow. The key tickles inside my chest, and I emerge into the room of 13 doors. I cross to the door of ice and quietly step out the shadow on the other side. And now I'm in the back of the store, in the porn section. The lights are off back here, so I get a good look at the rest of the place. There's a door to an employee restroom on my light tucked back behind the porn. Just beyond this section is a chained-off stairway leading upstairs. Neat racks of DVDs and bins of VHS tapes fill the rest of the store. I guess that's something else that's changed in the last few years. Even porn is on discs now. The only tape, tapes I can find are carelessly piled in the, in the uh, sale bins. The HS is dead. This is something good to remember since I don't want to sound like a Be the Beverly Hillbillies when I start talking to regular people. I should sit down and make a list of everything I missed while I was gone. I mean, if you can't smoke in bars anymore, what other atrocities has the world committed? Kasabian's up front behind the counter going over the day's receipts. He lost some hair while I was away, but he's made, made up for it by getting fat. He was always a little chubby, but now he's taken on a truly odd shape, like one of those guys who grows a big belly and man boobs, but not like one of those guys. He just seems to have expanded horizontally like a balloon filled with too much air. I mean, it's admirable in its own weird ways. Chin and gut are defiant in the face of gravity, making him look more like Frosty the Snowman than Orson Welles. I walk slowly down the main aisle toward the counter, checking the corners of the room, making sure we're alone. Kasabian is deep in thought, crunching numbers. When I'm halfway to the counter, I take Brad Pitt's, Brad Pitt's stun gun from my pocket and hold it behind my back. Evening, Kaz. Long time no see. He starts and knocks the piles of receipts onto the floor. I stop where I know he can see me, but where the light is weak enough that I'm pretty sure he can't see my face. Who the fuck are you? Get out of my store. I don't want any trouble. 
It's after Christmas, Kaz. Don't you even take a day off? Everybody else is on vacation. Who are you? Did you have a Merry Christmas this year? Did you sing Happy Birthday to Baby Jesus? Maybe pick up something at the Baby Gap for him? What do you want? You know what I did for Christmas? I cut off a monster's head. And then I did the same thing to the guy who owned the monster. Hey, man, you want money? Take it. I mean, it's a lousy day, and I already deposited all the Christmas money. So you're shit out of luck if you think you're going to get rich here. Xavier's been a drama queen from the first day I met him, so I can't resist giving him a Vincent Price moment. I don't want your money, Kaz. I want your soul. I say, (laughs) stepping into better lights so he gets a full frontal of me. He gets exactly the reaction I was hoping for. <laughs> his mouth opens, but he doesn't make a sound. One of his hands come up, comes up to cover his open yap, stifling a silent scream. He steps back from, behind the, from the counter, his eyes wide. Forgive me, God, Lucifer, and all you angels on high and low, but this is fun. This is a fucking e-ticket roller coaster. <laughs> Shut your mouth, Cash. You look like one of those blow-up sheep in the back of at one of the porn stars. I stop about 10 feet from the counter, just letting him feast on me. So what did you get me for Christmas? Oh, right, you gave it to me 11 years ago. Damnation, the gift that keeps on giving. His hands are down now, and he's leaning on the counter like a drunk, trying to decide whether to fall on his face or on his back. I thumb the stun gun. It's okay. I know you don't have anything for me, but I sure as hell have something for you, Kaz. Climb up on Santa's lap, and I'll show you. I take a baby step closer to the counter, and Kaz takes one back. And he does the funniest thing. He raises his hands, and there's a gun there. A 45 caliber Colt Peacemaker, Wyatt Earp's favorite gun. He gives me five of the six slugs right in the chest and belly, completely ruining my moment. I drop to my knees, my vision going black. The stun gun falls on the floor, and I follow it down. I could feel my lungs drawing in air. I could feel my heart beating. Both organs seem more than a little confused by what's happening. (laughs) Death is settling over me, soft and warm, like a down comforter fresh from the dryer. And then my heart stops. Something funny happened to me when I was downtown. I got really hard to kill. When I first arrived there, I was the first and only living human to ever set foot in hell. I was a sideshow freak. Pay a dollar and see Jummy, the dog-faced boy. Later, when they got tired of slapping me around, examining me, and displaying me like a pedigree poodle, thought it might be fun to watch me die. They made me fight in the arena, and they made a big deal out of it. Imagine the Super Bowl every weekend. Naturally, the location being hell and being set in the arena, there was a lot of cheating going on. Hellions don't like losing bets even more than, any more than humans. Before almost every fight, a bribed trainer or attendant would show up with some sneaky little gift. They sent me special weapons, they gave me diabolical drugs, they whispered fiendish spells into my ears. It all helped, but it didn't really make me Superman. I was knife, I was speared, I was burned. I was almost torn in half by a giant crab thing that bled fire and screamed in the anguished voices of all the souls it had devoured. My ribs and my skull were beaten to silly putty, but I didn't die. I don't know if it was the spells, the drugs, the aguaregia, or just clean living, but I was changing. Every time I should have died but didn't, I got stronger. That meant that the next attack had to be harder, faster, even more ferocious than the one before. 
After a while, I actually looked forward to the beatdowns. Each one changed me, and the change meant that I was immune from a similar attack the next time. By the end, I was a flesh-and-bone, armor-plated, dirty fucking Harry. <laughs> By the time the ruling class of the old-school Hellions and Nouveau Seblebitants decided that it was time to get rid of me, it was too late. I was too strong, and by then I was doing more interesting things than killing in the arena. I was freelance killing Hellions out of the arena, and that meant I was protected on high from forces a lot, dark, a lot darker than your run-of-the-mill tail-and-pitchfork type. On the other hand, I'd never been shot before. <laughs> Stark, says Kasabian from a million miles away. Is that you? He laughs quietly, a little nervously. Oh, man, Mason is going to shit himself. My left hand shoots to the side, grabbing the forty-five still warm barrel and driving it to the floor. Kasabian's fat finger is still looped in the trigger, trigger guard, so when it comes, comes down with the gun, Meanwhile, my right hand has been doing its own thing. It flickers to my boot and tears free the black bone knife. I twist my body toward Kasabian and bring down the knife in a smooth arc. Kasabian's head tumbles to the floor and rows away like a pumpkin. His body flops to the floor. From beneath the new Disney release rack, Kasabian's head begins to wail. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, Jesus, fuck, I'm dead! This is quality wailing. Downtown, I've become kind of a connoisseur of screaming, and this is prime stuff. <laughs> I'm dead! I'm dead! Crawling shakily to my feet, I pick up Kasabian's shrinking melon by the hair, tuck the forty-five in the back of my jeans, and with my free hand, grab his leg by the ankle. In a situation like this, when you want to clear away the evidence, you have to drag a body. You might think it's faster to toss it over your shoulder in a fireman's carry, but lifting a limp body is like wrestling 200 pounds of jello. It wiggles, shifts, and refuses to stay still. Dragon is slower, but a lot less aggravating. I carry Kasabian upstairs, his head still screaming blue murder, and his heavy torso bumping along behind us. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.